From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Coming up, demystifying the art of predicting flood levels, flood resilience, flood proofing and why authorities say every flood is different. It may be dry now, but it will rain eventually. Floodplain expert Adam Berry joins the show. It's Thursday, August 31, 2023, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. As summer approaches, the thought of a possible flood is never far from the minds of those who've seen their home damaged by floodwaters in the past. Today on the show, I'm joined by an expert to uncover why building on floodplains or flood-prone areas was permitted in the first place, what is floodplain management, and why every flood is different. Adam Berry is a floodplain management specialist. Thank you for speaking with Ipswich today, Adam. No problems, Alan. Well, let's, great, great to be with you. Yeah, let's start with what is a floodplain management specialist? Yeah, good question. Um, look, essentially, um, it's it's a job of managing our floodplains. Um, so in essence, determining what our flood risk is, like how frequently we're going to be flooded, the hazards associated with that. And then from there, um, the measures that we use to manage or reduce that risk so that it can, can include standard structural mitigation measures like dams and levees, and then other softer approaches like uh, property resilience, land use planning, disaster management and community awareness. Let's go back in time a bit to a time of white settlement and we'll keep it local to Ipswich. What is the commonly held belief as to why flood-prone land by the Bremer was built on, especially around Ipswich Central? Look, I don't pretend to know an awful lot about um, the settlement of Ipswich, Allen, but um, I think in general settlements are built around rivers historically for means of you know, transportation and trade throughout the world. Um, and I guess the flood risk is established from that start and it begins to worsen over time with, with population growth. And these days, I guess people love to associate and with water and, you know, they love to live near it and connect through it with recreation. So whilst that's great, it also has encouraged people to live closer to flood plains and interact with them. Um, and that, that tends to elevate our risk. We hear the term flood resilience a lot, especially from government. How would you describe what they're trying to talk about? What is flood resilience? Yeah, it's definitely the buzzword these days and and very overused. Um, I guess it basically just means how well a community can make it through a flood. Um, So, you know, how much damage occurs, how quickly the community can recover with minimal damage, disruption and cost. Um, So you'll often hear building resilience flooding um so we're just trying to reduce those damages and just get on with life basically that's that's a a resilience to flooding overall before the 2011 flood we as a community were lulled into a very false sense of security as it turns out thinking that wyvernhoe dam would save us from another 1974 flood do you think this view was widespread yeah absolutely it still continues to be a big topic doesn't alan um Everyone from politicians to real estate agents were on board with that view, and it was an extremely dangerous view. The dam was built for other reasons as well, not just flood mitigation. Um, in fact, it can only mitigate around less less than half of the, the total catchment area because the Bremer and Lockyer uh, creeks flow in below that dam. 
And the design, the dam's only designed to mitigate up to a certain level. So floods will always occur with or without the dam. And I guess I'm glad the outcome of the court case was the way it was because otherwise the blame would have been squarely pointed on the dam operators rather than understanding the limitations of the dam. And I guess, unfortunately, there's still a widespread view that the dam wasn't operated correctly. And again, this builds that myth that Wyvano can save us with a better operations plan. And it's it simply isn't true. So let's explore that a bit more. The southeast sure. is a very large catchment area. And if we talk about everything downstream from the Wyvernhoe Dam wall, that's a very large area of land that rain can fall on and cause a flood. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I don't know the exact percentages, but let's say it's, you know, 30 to 50% of that, that total catchment area. So, and like you say, anything that does fall in the Bremer catchments and the Lockyer catchments and the, the lower Brisbane River, the dam has absolutely no effect at all on it. And that was generally what happened in 1974. A lot of that, that rainfall was in those sort of Lockyer and Bremer River catchments. So with that dam in place, it, it wouldn't have done a lot because there wasn't a great amount of rainfall up in those those top catchments. Sticking with the 2011 flood, we heard a lot of promises about flood proofing, uh, talking about places like Ipswich CBD and Goodna. It's not really possible or feasible to flood proof these areas, is it? Yeah, I'm glad, glad you, you mentioned that. I mean, that's always the first call after a flood comes through, you know, build more dams, put up levees, that sort of thing. But most of the time, like you said, it's it's either impractical or it's not cost effective. So particularly areas like Goodna and Ipswich, it's possible things like floodgates, ETC, could be built, but they're extremely expensive and they only stop floods up to a certain magnitude. And to add to that, there's also issues with the flooding from the river as well as local overland flow. So if you try and keep the river out with, say, a floodgate or a levee, the local water backs up behind that that that, um, that levee or that uh, wall. And then you need all sorts of complex forecasting systems and pumping, and it becomes a bit of a nightmare. And Council have already kind of looked at that in their uh, integrated catchment plan. That's publicly available and well worth a look. I guess outside of that, um, what can be done um, other than those structural solutions, just basic things like better community education and flooding uh, and awareness, improving flood warning and forecasting, removing high-risk residents from um, some purchasing properties and things like that. After the 2022 floods, and we had not one but two that year, action was taken by the state and federal governments in the form of the Resilient Homes Fund to buy back or raise properties in the worst affected areas. I think perhaps because we had a flood in 2011 and another flood in 2022, the governments had to do something. Is this the way to correct the mistakes of the past through flood buybacks? Look, it's it's part of that, Alan. I guess that's that big that big picture of floodplain management. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, our first goal is always to remove that flood flood risk altogether um, and get rid of it. But it's important to understand that this uh, this is very limited due to the sheer cost of of purchasing purchasing those properties. So I guess we have to invest across a wide range of measures to reduce our risk rather than just aiming to remove it altogether because that isn't generally possible. And it's important to keep the funding going rather than just after the floods. Um, you know, continuously investing in that long term across all those measures. And people like uh, Ella Harrison at the Queensland Reconstruction Authority are really doing their best to, um, I guess, keep this funding moving along. People who have never been exposed to a flood uh, of their own home tend to have short memories of major floods and new home buyers and or buyers of existing homes should be very aware that their properties might still be for sale in, in an area that flooding can occur. What's the best advice you can give? Yeah, this is again a much discussed item, and um, it's kind of frustrating to see it always always an issue. And I think 
I think there's some solutions that need to be put in place. Like, I, I, I honestly think there needs to be some laws around um, all houses in any hazard areas, whether it's bushfire or flooding. Um, you know, through the sale or the rental process, there needs to be something um, on that house to make buyers aware. And for any property owner looking at houses and, and investigating flood risk, it can be a bit of a maze, um, depending which council area you're in. As an example, um, councils like Brisbane have really good flood sources and flooding information where you can find out about the type of flooding and the magnitude. Probably the biggest tip I give to, and I get asked quite a lot, Alan, um, the biggest tip I usually give to someone um, searching for a property for information is to do that, is to check the council website. But get an insurance quote because um, generally the insurers know the flood risk quite well and you'll you'll know pretty quickly by how 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 much exposed that property is because of the premium costs that they, they generally write that um, that premium, that risk into that premium. So that's always a, a good way to find out as well. Adam, we also hear that every flood is different and to the uh, average person, uh, a flood is a flood is a flood. What does that mean in technical terms? Why is every flood different? Yeah, absolutely. Every single one is. Um, it could be the nature of the flooding, whether it's like our overland flow type flooding through our urban areas, our you know roads and 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 things like that, or riverine or creek flooding. It depends on on where the rain falls, how much falls, and and spatially where it falls. So it's impossible because of that that every flood could be the the same. And so as professionals, we know, we need to understand the technical components of that. And I guess as residents, we really can't get complacent about the last flood either. 2011 is a really good example of that in, in say, Brisbane, um, where 2011 was was primarily a, a Brisbane River, riverine flood where the flooding was backing up. In t- 2022, um, the Brisbane River didn't flood as much. That, that riverine flooding wasn't as much of a problem, but they had devastating flooding uh, in areas like flash flooding, like uh, Kedron Brook and things like that that caught people really off guard because they were historically focused on what happened in 2011. So yeah, definitely every flood is different and you need to be aware of all those different types of flooding. I wasn't in Ipswich in 1974, but I remember uh, watching the flood from uh, living out west. Uh, The Bremer River, uh, the pictures after that uh, 74 flood wiped a lot of houses out in Brassel there along uh, Sydney Street. Mm. So that would be a good example of how every flood is different. It was like a raging torrent rather than a mill pond. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in 74, it was primarily a, a Bremer River flood versus 2011 being more of a Brisbane River flood. Ipswich has overall has one of the highest flood risk profiles in Australia. Actually, it's got a really complex flooding regime with the, the Brisbane River and the Wyvernoak Dam releases, as well as the, the Bremer system. Um, it's even further complicated because um, the Worrell Creek and, and the Bremer River join around the Ambly Air Base um, there at one mile. Um, so those both systems combined are really massive. They stretch all the way up to Mugwood Dam and beyond. So any any sort of different variation of rainfall in each of those catchments can determine how fast the flood is and how much rain there is. So, yeah, definitely the, the differences in 74 and 2011 were were quite striking, like you said, in 74, a lot of rain on the Bremer catchment, which sped that that um, that uh, flooding up as well compared to 2011. Now let's talk more about your job during a flood event. Now, when that rain is relentless, it seems like it's never going to stop. One of your jobs previously was to monitor rainfall as it happens and then advise predicted flood levels. What information are you getting while a flood scenario is developing? Yeah, look, I'm still contracted by FCC Council during flood events, um, including the most recent one in 2022, but uh, it can be a pretty daunting task, but I do feel very privileged to, to help Council out with that. 
Um, during advanced information, there's there's so much that comes through. Ipswich City Council have a number of flood forecasting systems they use, as well as inf information from the Bureau. So there's a stack of things that come through, like rainfall grids, so we can see information behind the radar, essentially, our forecast rainfall information. Um, council also have a, a fairly extensive flood gauge network that the public can access as well. So that's used in council systems. And the Bureau also supply uh, predicted, so ahead of time, predicted forecast water levels at nominated gauges. And again, the public can also access those. So yeah, there's a lot of information. I would need another half an hour, I think, to go through it, Alan. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot coming through, that's for sure. Well, how difficult is it to predict flood levels? And has have you seen, in your time doing this job, have you seen technology improve? Yeah, absolutely. And and two two parts there. The, the it's it's extremely difficult to do any sort of flood forecasting, um, essentially because you're you're trying to model how much rain's going to fall out of the sky, and that, that's very difficult. Um, and I guess flood modelling's come a very long way since 2011. I mean, in 2011, Ipswich City Council and, and other councils as well really didn't have a lot of technology. And because of that, the you know the state government, and the councils have invested like quite heavily um, in, in those systems to bring them up to speed. Um, rainfall forecasting is probably one of the most challenging components of flood events, just due to the you can imagine trying to forecast how much rain exactly is going to come out of a like an ex-tropical cyclone, and flood forecasting just becomes a fine balance between how much warning time you can give and then that inaccuracy and that that accuracy of when the rain's fallen. So it's a it's a really tough ask and, and a lot of the agencies um do their best, but it, it is with it is with very um I guess limited inform or not limited information, but um that information that's that's accurate enough to do that. How does this information then influence priorities for the local disaster management group? Yeah, so councils generally the the lead well they are the lead agency by law um, in flooding events. So what tends to happen in those um, LDMG groups is um, people like myself and others would um, and the disaster managers at council would would uh, I guess work out where that rain is and how high it's going to get the levels. That that information then feeds on to to people like the the Queensland Police Service and the uh, Queensland Fire and Emergency Services as well. And, and some examples of that would be. Um, so forecasting would be done and then to the best of their ability, that information would be um, sent to the police to, to evacuate um, like high risk residents that might be trapped on flood islands and things like that. Um, unfortunately, it's really difficult to provide that service to everyone in a council area just because the resources are so limited on the ground. Um, and that's why council put a lot of things up on, you know, disaster dashboards and mapping and that stuff's just getting better and better every day um, and it's good to see it improving since 2011. Adam you've studied historical floods and rainfall what changes have you seen happening owing to climate change? Yeah that's a uh, look there's un undoubtedly changes to weather patterns I mean every everyone can see it these days um, and we do need a plan for it moving forward I, I guess with regards to flooding um, there's also an overemphasis focus on climate change as well um, because the fact is these floods will occur with or without climate change. So um, focusing solely on climate change generally distorts our, our approach overall to things. So it's important to um, look at those changes that are happening with our climate, but as well acknowledge that um, things are, we've already got a lot of high flood risk without our future, you know, increases the rainfall as well. So we need to kind of look at everything as a, as a whole and kind of plan accordingly. You operate in the private consultancy world of flood management and floods are not exclusive to Ipswich and South East Queensland. Are there any situations elsewhere we can learn from and vice versa? 
Oh, so many, Alan. Like, it feels like floods are happening every now and now. I'm not sure if it's the media that are exposing it more, but it definitely feels like it's happening more. Um, I guess one example that um, we could learn from is, is probably the recent floods in Lismore, um, if we bring that back to Ipswich. And the main thing we could learn from that is just expect the unexpected. We're always focused on what, what's happened in the past. So in Ipswich, as an example, there's still a large focus on 2011. We're really tunnel-visioned about that. However, we compared that to Lismore, the 2011 flood was actually a really small flood event in comparison. So, for instance, in Ipswich in 2011, the magnitude of the event was a, was about a 1% um, AP or a one chance every 100 years of occurring. But the flooding in Lismore was was more in line about a 1 in 2,000 you know, chance of occurring or even more. Mm. So we put that size flood event on top of Ipswich, the impacts would be absolutely devastating. So... We need to learn from what we can expect in the future. We've got a plan for, for those bigger floods instead of focusing on the 2011. And it sounds strange because, you know, everyone has, has the perception that 2011 was a really big flood event, and, and it was in a way, but we can expect to see, um, you know, bigger floods in the future, and, and we need to plan for those as well. In the calm well after a flooding event, what happens to all that flooding information in terms of future planning? Yeah, look, it's pretty it's pretty frantic during the event and and generally afterwards uh, as well. Um, but the the information that we gain from flood events is really really important. Um, obviously, things like what we what we did well, what we didn't so what do well, and where we could improve. Obviously, um, and the space of flood warning forecasting is advancing rapidly there. Um, but what's also important to understand is that. For a particular flood, it, when it come, once it comes along, um, we can use it in our calibration, our flood models later on. So when we're doing our flood modelling, we can fine-tune those flood models to events that have actually happened and get them to match. And that way, when we've got that match and that calibration, um, the flood models become more accurate as a result. So every flood event we get, we generally tend to use that information that we've got and make our flood models better so we can so we can predict um, flooding uh, more accurately later on. There's a lot to take away and think about after our chat. Adam Berry, thank you so much for speaking with Ipswich today. Thank you, Alan. Really appreciate it. And that's it for this episode. Just a reminder to look for handy links in the show notes. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.